Hi, and welcome to the second episode of the Lunar Zebra podcast, where we tell the tale of our little lunar rover from its conception all the way to its launch to the moon in a few years. Mm -hmm. For this episode, Cornel, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. um, you know all those rovers which went to Mars, for example, yeah. recently Perseverance or the Chinese uh, Zuron Mars rover. I'm curious, what adjectives would you use to describe those? Adjectives? I would say colossal for sure, because they look huge. Uh, also quite complex, because they all have all these arms and legs that I don't understand what they do, but I'm sure they can do a lot of different complex tasks. <laughs> yeah. And uh, crazy expensive, I think that's also uh, one thing that pops to mind. Mm. But what if, instead of having those crazy expensive complex machines, we actually want to build robots which are kind of stupid. Sounds like an interesting take. Mm. Let's dive into it then. We choose to go to the moon. Five. When it is launched and it works, four. The world will be different. Three. Something that I work on could actually be two. on the moon one day. One. And I'm still a student. I'm Cornel from the media team of the Lunar Zebra project here at uh, TU Delft. And I'm Marnix, also from the media team. Uh, and in today's episode, we want to talk about Internet of Robots. But uh, let's maybe go back to just a very daily life and everything that happens around us instead of talking about Mars rovers and, and lunar rovers and all those things. Well, Cornel, I don't know if I've told this to you already, but actually, despite being student, I like to make my own bread from time to time in my kitchen. Um, so I'm doing it manually and everything, but I'm seeing all those people recommending me to, to buy one of those KitchenAid robot things. And I feel like we're more and more trying to robotize, if that's a word, or more and more trying to let robots take over all the different activities. Yeah, definitely. This reminds me of a, a trip that I took with uh, some friends that we were at an Airbnb and the, the host, she said like, don't worry when you're in the garden because Maurice might pass by. <laughs> Maurice. We were like, who's Maurice? And Maurice was the, the lawnmower. And it was actually a machine, little robot, quite simple, but it just drove around all day in the garden, going wherever. And when it got to an obstacle, it turned around, but it was their gardener. Instead of a person, it was a robot. <laughs> so that's uh, the beginning of uh, how our tasks are being taken over. Did it also have uh, little goggly eyes? And... It didn't have eyes yet. No, no, no. Just as very, it was very simple. It looked like a lawnmower. But then it started moving and then you were like, oh. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but well, that, that's actually what we're seeing a lot now in society. We try to automize everything, don't we? We want to apply robotics in, in really more and more uh, daily activities and in different situations. But we've been talking about this also with uh, Hans Hellendorn. Yeah, so my name is Hans Hellendorn. He's um, the department head of uh, cognitive robotics here at the TU Delft. And I'm a full professor for control theory. Uh, so he has quite a lot to, uh, to say about this. And I, yeah, I started with uh, my PhD with artificial intelligence. And then I developed into the way of control theory. And my main application has been 
control of say large systems with a lot of controllers with a lot of vehicles with a lot of uh, difficult circumstances but this is what uh, he had to say when we asked him where we would use uh, robots <laughs> if i if i drive uh, to work i would have my robot to 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 drive me and if i'm doing some uh, some repair work in my home or some painting, yeah. So uh, then it would be nice if the robot would stand beside me and uh, give me the the painting pot, and uh, then I would say, okay, you take that wall, and uh, oh, 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 not so quickly, or uh, yeah, and in the garden, yeah. So uh, we're not having a, a helper and uh, doing the the mowing or or weeding, or, yeah. Thing like this, yeah. The the little Maurice, the little lawnmower, that one already exists, of course. Uh, but there are so many applications, and uh, this is what Hans Hellendorn had to say about um, different future applications that will come about when robotics develops even further and gets implemented more into our lives. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There, there, there are many, of course, but uh, let me mention some. Yeah, so the I, I think the most important is that the the robot is becoming a real helper of a human being, and that means that the robot can um, interact with a human being and uh, talk or or otherwise communicate with the human being, and they can together yeah, do different tasks. Yeah, if you regard a car as a robot. And that is a driving robot, then the car is communicating with its driver and looks at the eyes of the driver. If the driver is anxious or if the driver is uh, worried or is, is, is happy, and it can look at the environment, look at the other people around the, the car and, and look at the intentions and try to, to, to find out what other people are doing. If there are bicyclists or if there are pedestrians, then it can, can can look at them. Yeah, for the car, that's uh, we're seeing this development more and more. I think, for example, I guess about Tesla, the big name, uh, with all the sensors and um, and everything. So that's being implemented, yeah, more and more in daily life. Yeah. And the same will be uh, happening. For example, yeah, we have a large product with Albert Heijn, and there there will be robots in the stores. Yeah, and these robots will work cooperate with. Uh, with employees and then the employee will say okay uh, do you do this and then the robot will will look at the employee if he does it right if um, for example if he has to rearrange uh, a shelf or uh, do some cleaning or do some registration and that will will happen in more fields yeah so in particular for example in in, in buildings yeah, so if you have a construction work, then there will be a construction worker and its robot, yeah, like a young uh, employee, and they will together do things, and then uh, the robot will fix something, and then the employee can do another thing, and then together they can uh, do their job. And that is the, the real challenge. Yeah? And in particular, of course, if you move that to hospitals yeah, or to nursery homes, if then the nurse has also her or his robot and they have together do things with patients. So Hans just presented a lot of new applications that will perhaps exist in the future. 
And there's all super interesting because the world uh, will get uh, more automation and uh, but they all sound very complex and if we start making a robot for each and every specific situation that might not be a very sustainable way of development uh, especially if every different uh, application needs different sensors or different parts and stuff like that if, if that wouldn't require too many man hours and production uh, efforts yeah because the needs for a complex task does not necessarily mean that the robot itself has to be very complex, I think. So, so what if we make uh, robots that are actually much less complex than this? We would want to be in a world where we make everything simple, don't we? Yeah, because I don't think a complex task always needs uh, a complex rover. That's what Kevin McElligot, who was a former member actually of Zebro before Lunar Zebro started, uh, mentioned to us actually. Yeah, I'm uh, Kevin uh, McElligot and I'm uh, a software developer uh, at Alpen. Which is one of our partners. He said the following. You don't want a lot of sensors. You actually want the robot to yeah, be kind of stupid. Which is weird because we're talking about more and more complex tasks, right? Yeah, no, well, no, actually, it's not that weird. Because as we said in the beginning, we want to see robotics develop in, in many different fields, eventually, probably in almost all fields. So we need to make it less complex and make it more stupid, the robot. Because if we're going to um, make complex robots for every task, that won't work in the future, probably. No, and I think it's also an interesting take that I, I think we discussed this with one of the interviewees that um, complexity might also slow down things because if something is not there, you can't break it. So making it more simple makes uh, leaves less room for errors or uh, flaws to, to turn up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, do you remember Chris from last episode? Yeah, yeah, Chris Verhoeven, the associate professor at the TU Delft and also the project director of Lunar Zebra, of course. Yes. He actually gave uh, a very interesting remark about insects and humans, uh, which I think was quite insightful. So, like people and ants seem to have the same amount of neurons in the world, but they are clustered in a different way. Maybe yeah, you're wondering what, what does that have to do with the complex robots that we were talking about? But actually you have to imagine we humans have evolved quite a lot and we are very complex human beings. There are now seven and a half billion of us uh, around the world, while ants, they're quite simple. And yet, when you look at them, they have all those colonies, super colonies. But ants, how many are there? There's ten, about 10 billion billion ants in the world. Yeah, we have our very complex, very big brain. Each of us have quite a lot of neurons, whereas ants have each very small, tiny brains. But in total, the, the, the 10 billion billion, as you said, of all of those, approximately, I guess, would amount to the same amount of neurons that all humanity have. But still, with having such a tiny brains with just a few neurons each, all of the ants combined can create all those super complex uh, colonies. It goes beyond the capabilities of one individual, far, far beyond. Yeah, so these are kind of the stupid 
robots, if you look at ants in terms of robots. So instead of having like a very highly centralized intelligence, they have something that we could call a collective intelligence. Mm -hmm. Yep, and that's quite uh, an important word which you'll hear often, I guess. Kevin explained it quite nicely what, it, what he means when he says collective intelligence. Uh, you want uh, many of those uh, robots, uh, you want to create a collective uh, intelligence. So the robot itself doesn't contain a lot of intelligence, but when you have a lot of them, they combined intelligence, which is much more interesting. Uh, and that is the whole idea, of course, of the swarm. But now we're going a bit too far. That's for next episode, swarming. Swarming will be for next episode. But this collective intelligence is quite fascinating because it requires for very, very good collaboration amongst the different individuals within the collective. Yeah, uh, do you remember uh, what Chris said at some point about collaboration? About the, the hooligans. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. So then I, I, I introduced my joke for the school children, then I, I showed them a group of professors and then a group of football hooligans, hooligans, and then I said, if you want to destroy a train, what would you pick? And then they would pick the hooligans. And uh, why that? Well, because they cooperate better. Because the joke was, I've never seen, prof I've never seen professors cooperate. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a joke, of course, but what he's really saying here that uh, individual intelligence from the professors is replaced by the collective intelligence of the hooligans, if we label hooligans as, as maybe being less intelligent than professor. And I think the most important thing here is the collaboration, that the, the main, that the important thing for creating an intelligence uh, collectively is by uh, cooperating well. Yeah, uh, in the animal kingdom we see also uh, a lot of collaboration happening which might be a better collaboration than what we humans are capable of and Chris had this nice example about birds you know all those sometimes you see those f a flock of birds of those maybe 50 or something birds flying together and then forming all of those patterns while they're flying but they what Chris is saying they manage to fly in a swarm like this without colliding so, uh, so, uh, so you see birds can swarm 3D, whereas we as people cannot even be in a line in a highway and we collide. Uh, and uh, and, and uh, there was a research in Delft where, where this actually was research, how come that people collide while birds can do that? And, and one of the conclusions was people are too intelligent. They take too much into account and that gives chaos. There are too many variables. So if you, if you would never look in your mirror, but only look at, uh, at, at the front and react on that, then uh, and, uh, it would be more stable than looking back and forth and anticipate on what others, uh, others do. Like birds, they look at, uh, I think, max seven birds around them, and that's enough to be safe in a swarm. Yeah. So in a way, you can say that people are becoming too intelligent for those collaborative activities. And that's the point of view of Chris anyways. Uh, he's saying that the human collective intelligence is actually quite poor. At some point I discovered that the collective intelligence of people is, is poor. Huh? We know that. Huh? And, and, and I found that is because the communication between our neurons in our brains is not very good. And with ants it's, it's even worse. Huh? They have a smaller brain and their communication is with, with pheromones and uh, some vibrations and so on. So this means that collective intelligence is, is low. There is not fast enough communication between, uh, between, the, between the brains. 
So the ant example that we gave before about collective intelligence is um, existing and you do see how they create a collective intelligence, but it's far from optimal. There is way more optimal ways to create a collective intelligence if you can op optimize the communication, which will in its turn optimize the collaboration and the cooperation. Uh, and that's something we could perhaps do with robots because those are things that you can optimize the com communication for. Yeah. Then Chris goes on about what our solution is in that case. Yeah. Our solution, our human solution, is that grow a bigger brain. So make lo local intelligence if you have a trouble in making large collective intelligence. And the speed between our neurons, between our brains, is low because it's speech and it's just gestures and so on. So um, no matter about 5G and stuff like that, in the end it has to go into your ears or your eyes and it has to leave your mouth and it, you have to do it with your hand, hand motion. Yeah, so what he's saying here is that like ants who communicate with pheromones very slow, we humans communicate maybe a bit faster, we now also have technology to communicate, but still it's a matter of talking to one another and then processing what they say, understanding or touching or even reading. It's not optimal, it's not like... We always have the limited processing capabilities that we have. Exactly, yeah, it's not like computers, for example, who can communicate between each other very very fast. And which is developing to become faster and faster. Mm. But then uh, Chris made uh, an interesting remark at the end. So there, there's a good point when you want to have an intelligent community that you have go, grow big brains. But you must also admit that the collective intelligence of uh, people is disappointing. Because we fight wars, uh, we believe, believe fake news, uh, we do so many stupid things that, that if, if, you, if you would think about it, why isn't there world peace? It is the most sensible thing to do. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it, if you think about it, it's really disappointing. To put it in context, poor is of course not super, super bad because in the end uh, we have created amazing things and uh, accomplished amazing things as a collective. And one of the strengths of humans is that they can actually work in very, very big groups. But when you talk about actual optimized collective intelligence and the almost utopian view that um, Chris is talking about without wars, without insensible things of uh, humans. Then we get to uh, another concept of Chris, which is the Internet of Robots. So we talk about Internet of Things, and I don't know what a thing is. It's stupid, eh? if you tell me, Chris, can you build me a thing? Then uh, yeah, I don't know what it, what it is. Uh, but if you hear people describe it, eh, they say, well, you have a sensor in your fridge. Well, I don't know what exactly the sense of that is, but they say sensors everywhere. And I think if, there, if we put sensors everywhere, who is going to put the sensors everywhere? Who is going to repair a broken sensor? How are you sure that the sensor is at the right place? And who cleans up the sensors when you don't need them anymore? Well, if you look at the amount of sensors people claim there will be with, uh, with, uh, with Internet of uh, Things, that's a logistic uh, nightmare. So the only solution is that the sensors go there by themselves. And that's the Internet of Robots. Yeah, so the name is derived from Internet of Things, obviously, because what Chris is saying is that you have robots which are interconnected with one another, um, able to communicate in real time, have this uh, decentralized intelligence, and they monitor uh, sensors which are uh, useful for us, uh, for example, in the context of Internet of Things or in the context later on of space exploration. Uh, and then those robots are able to make decisions in real time 
for instance, on whether or not to place a sensor somewhere or, uh, or just other decisions. Well, what would be easier that when the fire alarm flies itself to the ceiling and just attaches it there. And when it needs cleaning, it flies to the cleaner and then it comes back. So I think how much time will it take before the, the first uh, self-placing fire alarms are there? And then all the main exhibition halls and so on, you're walking around, you see, bzzz, oh, that's fire alarm. And for, and for Luna Zero, it's the same, it's the same thing. So, uh, so you will see insect-like creatures hanging around that can do those Internet of Robot things for you. That's where we wanted to go towards this concept of Internet of Robots, which is really the future of robotics if we want to accomplish very complex tasks. So Internet of Robots might seem a bit vague at this point and unrelated maybe to what Lunar Zebra is doing and to space missions and to Mars missions, which we started with. But that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode. We're going to apply this Internet of Robots to what we hope to be able to do in the future once we've proven that our robot works on the moon, namely swarming. And lastly, we would like to thank Hans Helmdorn, Chris Verhoeven and Kevin McElligot for contributing to this episode.